This afternoon's meditation, please uh, turn with me to uh, Genesis 41. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, we'll begin our uh, reading at the first verse. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine, or cows, and flat-fleshed, and they led, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kine upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kine did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kine. So Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed the second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears, and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in a ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream one night, I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there, and there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me God shall give an answer of Peace. In other words, he's going to set Pharaoh at ease with his answer. So we'll just skip from verse 16 as Pharaoh describes the dream again, uh, repeats it to Joseph, what we just read. Let's skip down to verse 28. This is now Joseph speaking. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. Then there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by the reason of that famine following it, for it shall be very grievous. And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will bring it shortly to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. 
And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word, and all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. I'd like to conclude here, verse 40. We have a situation where Joseph was in prison. We read that in the last time we were together. We have a Another insight in the Psalms that uh, speaks a little bit about his prison experience gives us some additional detail there that we did not read here in Genesis. And, and uh, the scripture says, whose, hurt, whose feet they hurt with fetters and placed his neck in iron, or in other words, an iron collar, until the time that the word of the Lord came. The Lord tried him. In other words, he tested Joseph's character. So when he was in jail, it was uh, quite a um, quite an experience. It was there for several years, and he had asked the butler to remember him. And we pick up in the first verse that, uh, or actually the last verse of the previous chapter, that the chief butler remembered Joseph not, but forgot him. This morning, Brother Edmund preached on. Um, the whole notion of the trial of affliction. And I was thinking of Isaiah 48, verse 10, which says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have cho- I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And certainly this was a furnace of affliction that Joseph experienced for 13 years. And now we are at the time where he's 30 years old. He was sold when he was 17, going through this experience. And now we pick it up at verse 41 where uh, Pharaoh has this dream, and finally the chief butler remembers his own situation multiple years prior to that. Now what's interesting is the scripture here doesn't specifically say that it was God's will for the chief butler to forget him. We don't fully know what, what it was. Was it he just forgot or was too embarrassed to say or, or what happened there? But we do see how God used that to his glory. Because imagine if the chief butler had remembered and somehow spoken favorably of Joseph and they were able to get him out of prison and perhaps at best he may have become someone else's slave, slipped off into some part of Egypt long and, and, and would never be in the spot that he needed to be when Pharaoh needed him. And so he needed to wait another two years in this furnace of affliction to continue to learn the customs of Egypt, the language of Egypt, understand the, uh, the, the, the responsibility that he had, as we read in the previous chapter, to gain additional experience in the running of the prison that he was there. And when it was time, in the fullness of time, he was exactly where he needed to be. And certainly this approach is often how God uses his faithful servants. When they are in a circumstance that is far from ideal, waiting for deliverance, waiting for an answer, waiting for direction, and it is not coming, can be a very frustrating circumstance. 
And yet, it may be exactly where God wants you at this time. Because he may well have in mind a future time where the experiences you are making right now will be instrumental and essential for what he has planned for in your life. Now, it doesn't mean that Joseph was just sitting idly by. He certainly was responsible, and all the things that he could do, he did. And yet, the thing that he wanted most was being withheld at that time. Until he gets hastily called out of the prison by Pharaoh because of this disturbing dream that Pharaoh had that no one else could interpret. And now as he is called hastily before Pharaoh having to be completely shaved and prepared with appropriate garments... How he manifests the four characteristic of a godly preacher and prophet. We see how he first has the upright character that is proven and tried in that time of affliction. So he's not just a person that what you would call is a has veneer on the outside, just a thin layer of character that if you would try him in some uh, circumstance, would quickly fall. Or like the example that Brother Edmund used this morning of the trees on his property, when the wind came and blew, the ones that were not strong, that were rotten from the inside, though the outside looked totally fine, when they were subjected to affliction, they could not withstand it. But Joseph was not that person because he had learned in the furnace of affliction to be strong through through the mercy and grace that God bestowed to him. And so that's the first characteristic that all believers, especially those who proclaim the word of God, is to have that upright character that is tried and proven. Then the second thing we see that he has that um, as he's called forth and put on the spot, he didn't really have time to prepare for this. How could one prepare really for, for a situation like this? To speak in season and out of season. He had no idea what Pharaoh's perspective was on Jehovah God. He didn't know he was if he was going to offend him with what he was about to say. And of course, Pharaoh in that land had, with one spoken word, could banish him back to prison in far worse circumstances, or worse yet, cost him his life. And yet we see a certain boldness here that could only be explained that the Spirit of God provided that boldness to him. And unashamedly... um, called out the reason why he was able to interpret the dream. It wasn't his own ability. He wasn't trying to build himself up. We see that character, that humility, characteristic in his life. He's not looking to uh, for accolades. He's looking to be a servant of God and to give God the glory in that. And so he is ready to speak God's message regardless 
of the potential consequence that that message brings, whether it be favorable or not. Then we see the third thing that, uh, <clears throat> third characteristic that he is not afraid to speak about God's judgment. He spoke about what was going to happen in the future, that the judgment upon the land, there would be a great famine. And there's a great, uh, the consequences of that famine were greater than any had ever seen. But then probably the most important characteristic is he spoke of God's provision, the deliverance from that great judgment or that great calamity that was about to happen. And certainly this was a foreshadow of what Jesus did as he came and and followed that, that same pattern because this is a godly pattern where Jesus came and spoke to us about the coming judgment. He came to spoke the truth out of season and, of course, was eventually crucified as a result of that. Came to, with a perfect character, the only one that ever was perfect on earth, to be able to bring forth the message and then, most importantly, brought the message of God's providence that he himself would bear the suffering and the cost in order to bring that providence about. And this, of course, is the message that we are called to to bring as well. More than just a temporary deliverance, but one that will last into eternity and to be ready, as the scripture says, uh, to give answer to anyone that asks of the hope that is within us, to be able to follow that godly pattern, to not only have the boldness to speak the truth, but to do it in such a way that is balanced both the bad news, but most importantly, the good news of the gospel of the message, the providence that God has prepared for all those that believe. Now, someone like Joseph was needed to run a program like this. Imagine the change that had to t- take place so quickly. <clears throat> First of all, it was an ambitious plan. What he recommended to Pharaoh was put a tax on everyone at 20%. From zero to 20%. And we're going to take during the seven years of plenty because we're going to store up for those years, for the seven years that we're going to follow. Now, Pharaoh was clearly a wise man. Understood that that kind of plan is quite ambitious. The logistics of orchestrating something like that for an, for an entire country and to be have someone that had the vision to be able to carry that out through those seven years was no simple task. We see that in our government as well, where uh, even during the times of plenty, they don't have the capability to save for a rainy day. In our debt-fueled economy, where there's always something, well, we're we're, we're just going to borrow from the future to, to try to make it better for today. And even though there was plenty in the years prior... Even our government was not able to balance the budget. They don't have the fortitude or the planning necessary to be able to do that. 
And so Pharaoh ran the risk of having the same problem here. If he put someone in charge that didn't understand the vision or maybe was not quite so uh, uh, persuaded that this situation was so dire. And certainly in the seven years of plenty, it's kind of hard to imagine when everything is just bumper crops every year. Everything is overflowing all the time that this could ever end. And so he needed to have someone that had the appropriate vision and discernment and the the solid foundation to stick with the plan, even though there would have been opposition for sure. But we also see several other things that demonstrated a unique uh, perspective on Pharaoh as a wise and good leader. See, because a superior idea was coming from an inferior person. A superior idea was coming from an inferior person, meaning that this was not Pharaoh's idea. See, some leaders who are uh, uh, believe that they need to be the ones that come up with the best ideas. And anyone who comes up with a different idea than them, and they are more powerful, they squash those ideas or are jealous over them. But we see Pharaoh here did not do that. He recognized that there was something unique in Joseph. And so he did not squash that idea. But it says in uh, verse 37 that he was pondered that. And it wasn't just his own ideas. He also consulted with his servants or his officials as they considered the plan that Joseph laid out for them. And then he had the humility to not only accept the plan, but also to promote the best suited person, the best candidate to take it over. Now imagine how problematic that would be. Here is a Hebrew slave, one that was a foreigner, one that was in prison. And now, after a short deliberation, we don't know how long this time was as they, they deliberated over this plan, but it wasn't a long period, evidently, as, as I understand it that now he's going to promote a prisoner, essentially to prime minister, only second in command. That would be quite an undertaking. You can imagine the wagging tongues that would take place over such a promotion. And yet Pharaoh in his wisdom understood that the situation was dire and he needed to ensure that the plan would be carried out. And he recognized that Joseph had a special gifting. He recognized that in him, I don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us, the officials, as far as how much in the history that they looked, I can imagine that they probably understood his past and saw his track record of, of, of good management skills, good character judgment. And as a result, the past pattern would be a good indication of the future pattern. But clearly he states that in verse 38, essentially he's asking a rhetorical question. He says, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? 
Pharaoh recognized that this was beyond just a temporal logistic matter that he had to take care of. This required someone not only of great reputation, good character, but someone in whom the Spirit of God is. How much did Pharaoh really understand of Jehovah at that time? I don't know. We don't fully understand that. But clearly recognized there was something unique about Joseph because of the Spirit of God in him. And that is a testament also to the power of the Spirit that can be resident in our own lives to make a difference, that others can see the Spirit of God in us and the character that we have, not so that we would be promoted. I don't get any sense as a reading through this, and I encourage you, as we don't have time to read every verse in this chapter, but as you read it, you don't get the sense that Joseph was a self-promoter. I don't think for a second he thought that he was going to be the one that's in charge. He was just giving the instruction as the word of the Lord. And probably was surprised as anyone when he was promoted to the position that Pharaoh gave him. So not only did Pharaoh was... Pharaoh recognized the superior idea. He had the humility to accept it. He recognized the spiritual wisdom and that it was taking advice from Joseph and his officials and recognized the special gifting and talent required for this position, but was also action-oriented. He took action. It wasn't just sufficient to have a good idea. And he took action. I don't know in God's overall plan why he chose Egypt to be the nation to save the known world at the time through this famine. Was it because the logistics of just storing up that kind of food and and that they had the the capacity to carry out such a, a great plan? Was it because Pharaoh himself was unusually wise and was able to be used in that way? Probably a whole many different factors. We don't fully comp- we don't fully know, but we do see a pattern here of God's sovereign will. That no matter what the enemy threw in the path to upset or thwart God's plan, none of them were able to stop it. If you think of this, you had the envious and murderous brothers, the mercenary Midianites the slave traders that then owned him, the malicious and venomous wife of Potiphar, and then the wrath of Potiphar himself, then being in prison, the prison officials, and the forgetful butler, none of those things were able to derail the God's sovereign will. Any one of those things, even to a fraction of the uh, situation or the, the, the carrying out of those uh, things that would otherwise block God's plan, could easily have thrown things off. And yet God demonstrated his power, even through the free will of evil people. He was able to... Um, Use them as steps to accomplish his plan. 
the best analogy I can think of is years ago, I remember reading the account of the Apollo 13, the spaceship that went to the moon, and halfway to the moon, they ran into a severe problem. There was an explosion in the spaceship, and they lost all power, and they're stuck floating through space and had no way of getting back. And so they put their minds together and came up with a plan to actually use the gravity of the moon, even though it was, you know, they're halfway between the moon and the earth. They used the gravity of the moon as a slingshot as they went around the moon to slingshot them back to earth. And every one of them survived. Something that would have otherwise destroyed them. The gravity of the moon would suck the spaceship in and they would crash into the surface of the moon. They, they were able to orient the spaceship in such a way that instead of leading to their destruction, it actually led to their salvation. And much in the same way as that, that uh, I, I see God using that power in the same way that the enemy tries to draw in from his power of destruction and God uses that same power to as a slingshot to turn what uh, Satan meant for evil or what these people meant for evil to a power for good. And only God has the uh, power, the wisdom to be able to accomplish such a amazing feat. Of course, the same goes for us today. The enemy is, has not stopped but has throughout history and to this very day and this very moment is actively looking for ways to block God's plan in your life and in my life, both at the micro scale in our individual lives, but also at the macro scale. If you think of the, the, the global, the things that are happening at the global level, many things we don't fully comprehend, we'll never comprehend, but his goal is destruction in any form possible. And the scripture gives us a picture of of a lion seeking to devour. And if you've ever watched a wildlife show, you'll know how a lion hunts. They prowl very quietly, trying to get as close as possible to an unsuspecting prey, and then pounce where the prey has no chance to escape. And so that's the enemy. He's looking for ways to uh, pounce on us, pounce on God's plan to destroy it. And he does that through situations, people, through sickness, through uh, other people's selfishness and sinfulness, through circumstances that, in a sense, look like there's nobody's fault. And yet they cause pain and suffering. All of these things the enemy wants to use to destroy God's plan and destroy us in the process. And yet, I think we need to take a step back when we become concerned and fearful and wondering, how can this ever work out for good? Because we often will not know how that's going to work. And yet, I think through this account, even though there were a lot of very bad things that happened to Joseph personally, and he experienced a lot of trauma in his own life and had a high cost to pay, that the glory which he experienced, which God revealed through him, was far greater than any trouble that he had to endure. 
And we read about this in uh, Paul's writing to the Romans where it says, in Romans 8, I believe, verse 18, where it says, For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So if we would apply that scripture to the life of Joseph, the trouble he had, the trauma for those 13 years was significant. And yet the glory that he experienced from that could not even be compared. It was so much greater. It was an exponential difference between the two. And what the Apostle Paul was writing to the believers, he was saying the same applies to all believers That though there will be times of testing, of suffering, of refinement, the refiner's fire, there will be circumstances that will be beyond our comprehension, that God will use those in ways that we could never expect to redound to his glory and bring a salvation that uh, could never have been even imagined. We read in John, the, uh, the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter, first couple of verses, where, remember when Lazarus, the friend, his friend, was sick? And Jesus responded to his disciples by saying, This sickness is not nigh unto death, but that the glory of God may be revealed. An example of how a physical illness was going to lead to the Revelation of a greater level of glory that could not be revealed in any other way. Now we like, I think all of us would probably be in this circumstance, we like the stories that have happy endings. We like the story of Joseph because now he went from uh, a prisoner to prince. We like the story of Lazarus because he went from being dead to alive. We like those kinds of endings. And yet, not all stories end that way. Not all stories end where everyone lives happily ever after. Certainly not in this lifetime. There are people who will struggle with illness for the rest of their life. There are those that will not receive healing. Does that mean that that thwarts God's plan? It certainly would look that way if our horizon was only the here and now. But the scripture is clear and plain that the horizon is an eternal one. And when we look at it from an eternal perspective, the promises of God ring true. And it takes a measure of faith for us to believe that because we don't see. Well, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says we see through a glass darkly, dimly. We don't really see. It's like, it's like those of you that have glasses that can't see far. It's like when you take off your glasses, it's, it's blurry. You can't really make out things that the farther in the distance they are, the less clear they are. And that is certainly true in our life as well. And it's not that certainty of how well we see in the future, but rather the certainty of who walks beside us that gives us the trust that he will lead us through whatever the circumstance is that will bring about greater glory and greater revelation of God's character 
that others too would be able to um, see and hear the gospel story, perhaps through our life. In this case, Joseph's circumstance was not just about Joseph. Yes, Joseph received the accolades and the promotion, but it was far greater than Joseph. It was the salvation of his family, the salvation of a nation. And at times we may struggle with, how is this going to impact me? And we have to realize it's not about us. It may be about our children. It may be about the neighbor. It may be about the coworker. It may be about the future generation. We don't know. But we need to entrust that circumstance to God and let him do his work. We read then, if we jump uh, to uh, verse 50 in chapter 41, it says, And unto Joseph were born two sons. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So here he's married, he has two sons, and we see he names the two sons Hebrew names. He doesn't choose Egyptian names. He chooses Hebrew names because he still believes in the God of the Hebrews. He still believes in Jehovah. And he says, God hath made me forget all my toil. It's not because he had amnesia, that he just kind of didn't remember what happened prior to that, but the the anguish and the trauma and the grief that he experienced did not have the same uh, impact or effect on him. Healing had taken place. And how did that healing take place? Well, through relationship. Not only did he now see better God's plan and had hope for the future, but he also was given a family and through relationships where he saw the God's handiwork. And certainly that is true today as we read the scripture, as we get a better understanding of God's sovereign plan, and as he has brings into our lives relationships, those of our family, our spouse, our children, those in the body of believers. When Jesus said, who is my brother and sister, but those who believe on me, essentially stating that our family, our biological family, while important, really, it's our spiritual family that has a much greater impact on the ability for us to receive comfort, receive healing through the traumatic experiences that we may make during our life. But the experience that Joseph has gone through here, he may not have realized at this time, and as the remainder of the chapter goes through the seven years of plenty, and then the seven years of famine start to hit. Perhaps he had, as said in, in the verse 51, he made me forget my toil and my father's house. Seems to imply he totally forgot as if, okay, this is my new life. I'm going to take care of the responsibility that God has before me. Probably little did he know that this was just one aspect that God had for him. And that in a short time, 
that he would be called to reconcile his family relationships. Because God is a God of reconciliation. He is a God of forgiveness. And wanted to demonstrate through the life of Joseph, not just to save the nation, to save the world, but specifically to save his own family. Because the Messiah was going to come through that, the lineage of the entire nation of Israel, as God had chosen them to bring his truth to the world, that he was not only going to save them, but also be reconciled in a way that was miraculous, to demonstrate to the whole world that God is a God of reconciliation as well. Amen.